So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. And this, the first Sunday in Advent, it's the 3rd of December. My name is John Keeley, and help me to present the podcast again, Shane Ambrose. How are you, Shane? And I suppose before we start, Happy New Year, would that be appropriate? Yes, I think that would be fair to say, to say Happy New Year, John. How are we keeping? People might think, well, in heaven's name are these people going, but Shane will explain that later on. But in the meantime... Um, we want to welcome, especially those listeners, as usual, who are housebound, lonely and struggling in some way. And, of course, our listeners who support us each week in prayer. Thank you so much indeed for sharing your time with us and sharing your prayer with us. We appreciate that and thank you. Our weekly podcast includes interviews on faith topics, inspirational music and reflection on the Sunday Gospel. All of our podcasts can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. That's comeandseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. Sacred Space, 102.blogspot.com. Uh, going back to 2010, we have a lot of podcasts up there. Again, if you just Google Sacred Space 102, you'll find us there. We'd also be able to be heard on Spotify, iTunes, and we do have a presence on Facebook. Come and see Inspirations. If you want to contact us, and please do so, uh, by emailing us on comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. That's comeandseeinspirations at gmail.com. Now we welcome Shane again, back again to share some saints for the for the for, uh, saints for the new year, Shane. I suppose. Indeed, in case people think we've absolutely lost the run of ourselves, I, what John forgot to mention, we wish me happy new year. Is of course that we've started a new liturgical year because today, of course, is the first Sunday of Advent. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I have to apologise this week and last week. I've had a little bit of a frog in my throat issue, but anyway, we'll keep going. So, uh, for, as I was saying, uh, so today is, of course, the first Sunday of Advent, the start of a new liturgical year. And it's our fourth season here on Come and See Inspirations, uh, because we follow the liturgical calendar in terms of our seasons. Uh, but in terms of our prayers this week, John, for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week one, obviously enough, because it is the beginning of the liturgical year. So that's today. Um, so Monday then is the 4th of December and it's the feast day of St. John Damascene. John Damascene was a Syrian Christian theologian. He died in 749 AD. He became a priest in the monastery of St. Sabbath near Jerusalem and was a leading figure in the defense of icons in the iconoclast controversy. So this was a heresy, well, it's been defined as a heresy, in the 700s, where basically some Christians took the view that actually you couldn't have um, icons or religious art, uh, which would have been in line with... Um, Jewish tradition, obviously enough. Mm-hmm. And obviously there would have been an influence around the 700s from the emergence of Islam uh, in, in, in the Arabian Peninsula uh-huh. as well, which also has a ban on the portrayal of anything to do with the human image. Uh, so there was a whole thing about it. They were destroying icons and religious art all over the Eastern Orthodox world. And then eventually they were there was a council called to defend it. Uh, so John was very much involved in that. And as I said, he died in 749. Then on Tuesday, the 5th of December, we have the Feast of uh, Cilician. Blessed Philip Rinaldi. He's obviously with a name like that. He's Italian. Mm-hmm. He is an interesting guy, born in 1856, and he died in 1931. Uh, now, the interesting thing about him is he was elected the leader of the Cilicians, the rector major, in 1922. 
and he was the third successor to Don Bosco and the last one to have been personally trained by him um, it, it, because he he met Don Bosco first when he was five years of age and then later in life he became he felt a call to religious vocation although he did consider becoming a marriage or becoming married I should go to mm-hmm. be married I should say he became a disciple of Don Bosco at the age of 22 uh, and then um, he took his vows as a solution in 1880. He didn't want to become a priest, but his superiors put him under obedience. They said he should. Uh, so he just he had he had a lot of work within the Salesian order, including looking after late vocations. He was the vicar general of the Salesians in from 1901, and then uh, including actually helping to found the group that would evolve into the Volunteers of Don Bosco, who we've had on the pro, on the on the podcast going back a couple of number of years ago. So, like I said, he died in 1931 of natural causes in Turin. Then we move on to the 6th of December. So, the 6th of December is a very important day on the calendar. It's the Feast of Santa Claus, uh-huh. otherwise known as St. Nicholas of Myra. Now, in particular, anyone listening from Galway, we wish him a happy feast day because St. Nicholas is its the Collegiate Cathedral of St. Nicholas in Galway. Um, as far as I can remember, but it's there's a great connection with Galway because it was a mm-hmm. seafaring port, and for some reason he's associated with sailors. Anyway, priest, abbot, bishop of Myra, generous to the poor, and special protector of the innocent and the wronged. Obviously, a lot of legends have grown up around this man. Um, he's associated with um, what do you call it, archers, and no, that wasn't the one I was thinking of. Pawnbrokers, actually. Um, he's he, he's one of the patron saint of pawnbrokers. Uh, the reason being, he tried to help um, um, poor families. Yeah. Uh, and he he heard a local man had fallen on hard times, and he was planning to sell his daughters into prostitution. So Nicholas went by night to the house and threw three bags of gold in through the window. And these three bags of gold, the symbol became the three golden balls that indicate a pawnbroker's shop. Um, so that's just one of the legends, and obviously yeah. gave rise the, to 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 the to the to the connection with gift giving, which on the continent of Europe happens on the sixth more than on the twenty fifth. So you know Santa Claus in the little red suit with the fur—that's very much an invention of Coca Cola. I have to say we have to we have to be honest mm-hmm. in that. If you're talking about the real Saint Nicholas. Um, so he goes around uh, he's generally p- portrayed as a bishop it's in mitre and mm-hmm. robe and crozier and all the rest of it um, interestingly enough um, when he is travelling around in, 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 in Europe on the 6th of, of uh, December he does have a, a little helper and um, now the helper has got into trouble in recent years because it's, it's basically seen as being not very um, PC um, but uh, there, there, there's a few of them that kind of, depending on the country that you're in, uh, there, who, who may or may not uh, be 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 uh, accompanying him. You have Krampus in Austria, or you have Hans Tramp in 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 parts of Alsace. Uh, you have, um, and then there's the other one. I'm trying to think of the name. There's it's um, Zara, uh, Black Peter. Uh, now, Black Pete is unfortunately that that one does get a bad rep because it's it's seen as being very disrespectful to people who are from who are 
of African extraction. Yes, yes. Um, Krampus then is just, it's just a, your divil figure generally. The idea, of course, encourage the children to behave. That's kind of the idea behind it. Uh, so these are the figures that would be accompanying St. Nicholas. Uh, obviously, he's giving out the gifts and they're um, telling everyone to be um, to be good boys and girls. That's a story. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Mm. Now, the other interesting thing about St. Nicholas is he would be a very, he was a very popular uh, saint and in particular in Russia. Uh, massively popular. You would rarely enter a Russian Orthodox church or even a Russian Orthodox home that wouldn't have an icon of St. Nicholas. He's an extremely popular saint, a wonder worker in that part of the world, regarded. But the interesting thing about it is we have his relics. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right? So his relics are in Bari in Italy and uh, they do come in their droves from Russia to visit. And a couple of years ago, the Pope gave permission, Pope Francis gave permission for some of the relics to be taken to um, to Russia on pilgrimage. And it drew them in not the thousands, not the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands oh. to see St. Nicholas. Uh, so just, just yeah, he's popular. He's popular in Russia. Then we're moving on to the 7th. And the 7th is the feast day of St. Ambrose, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. Saint of Milan, who died in 397. He was the governor of the Roman province. And then then in 374, the laity insisted on his becoming bishop, though he was not even baptized. Anyway, once he was baptized, ordained and consecrated bishop, all in the one go, uh, he he defend, he's regarded as a great teacher right down to the modern age. His t- sermons and his books still are there, hence the reason why he's a doctor of the church. He's one of no, he's one of the Latin one of the great Latin doctors of the church. He defended orthodoxy in brilliant preaching and through his writing. He is the patron saint of Milan, beekeepers and domestic animals. So you'll often see him again, a man dressed as a bishop but maybe with bees around or, 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 or with the Cathedral of Milan in his, in his hand. The bee thing is because he was so supposed to be golden-tongued. Sweet okay. words, sweet words falling from his mouth. That's what I understand anyway. Uh, interesting enough, so still celebrated in Milan. Uh, you can actually see Ambrose. He's still there, John. So if you go into the crypt in the Duomo, which is the, the cathedral okay. in Milan, yeah. yeah, you can see St. Ambrose in the crypt. So he's there. Dressed in bishop's regalia, and you can see what's pretty much what's left of him. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I take a slight interest because obviously with the family name, naturally. Yeah, naturally. so it's, it's an interesting one. Did he baptize another famous saint, Saint Monica's? Saint Augustine. Saint Augustine. Yes, he had, he had, he had baptized Saint Augustine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He baptized Saint Augustine, oh. and then of course, John, next Friday. Next Friday, of course, is a biggie. It is the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, Just to note, obviously, of course, this is Mary's conception in the womb of St. Anne, as opposed to Mary's, as opposed to the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. I remember being asked that in university, kind of someone saying to me, well, if he was only conceived on the 8th and he was born on the 25th, I was like, yeah, no, wrong one. So obviously, uh, the Immaculate Conception was dogma defined uh, by, I think it was Pius, let me just double check that. Um... Defined by Pius the, 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 I always get these numbers. Give me a second, John. It's the Roman numerals. Pius the Ninth in 1854 at the First Vatican Council. 
And it was basically on the basis that uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary was preserved from the state of original sin in the first instance of her conception in the womb of her mother. Mm -hmm. A singular privilege and grace of God granted in the view of the merits of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, so it's it's that's it's a dogma of the church. As a Catholic, you're you're kind of it's kind of goes with the territory, lads. If you call it, if you call yourself a Catholic, you kind of had to take this one yeah. in as well. Uh, <laughs> hence the reason it's defined as doctored by doctored by the Pope. Um, it's one of the four dogmas that have been defined ex cathedra by the Pope. So sometimes this is thrown around an awful lot that things are defined ex cathedra. The Pope has only exercised it formally. Um, four times. Once was to define the dogma, uh, to define that the Pope teaches ex cathedra, and then it was the two Marian dogmas, the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption of Our Lady. And I've just forgotten the fourth one. I'll come back to. I'll come back to it in a second. So then, obviously, then Immaculate Conception, Our Lady defined, Our, Our Lady depicted in art in the Immaculate Conception. It's very traditional. It's the one where she is the woman crowned with stars, standing on the serpent or standing on the horned one. Um, that's generally the depiction. It's taken from the book of Revelation because that's the readings that we would have for the feast day. Uh, so that's when you see when you see Our Lady standing on 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 top of the devil. Uh, with crowned with th- crowned with stars, that's generally hard depicted as as the Immaculate Conception. Of course, it's interesting. The other thing that's interesting about the the dogma of the Immaculate Conception and the connection with Lourdes. So Our Lady in Lourdes is is um, Bernadette. You know, she was appearing to Bernadette uh, in the in the grotto, and of course, uh, the priest of the vi- of the parish was saying to to Bernadette, "You need to tell me who she is." So Be- Bernadette said to her, um, "Who are you?" And Our Lady replied, I am the Immaculate Conception. And not only did she say it in, you know, I am the Immaculate Conception, she didn't say it in French. She said it in the local dialect so that Bernadette would, you know, could understand it. And the story goes that Bernadette then ran to the priest's house saying this all the time, I am the Immaculate Conception, I am the Immaculate Conception, and then said it to the priest. And this is one of the things that are said to have convinced the priest of Bernadette's... um, validity or her, the truth of what she was saying because uh, the, the apparitions in in Lourdes happened a number of years just after the defining of the dogma. Uh, so, you know, it would not something that a, a small, uneducated little girl in the south of France would have known a whole lot about. Uh, so for, for the priest, it was kind of a wake-up call that maybe he had to do something here because maybe this was actually happening. So that's just an interesting thing in terms of the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception, Our Lady under the title of Immaculate Conception, she is the patron saint of a lot of things. It, when I was going down the, through, the, through the website, it went on for two quarters of a page. Um, a lot of places in Brazil. As far as I'm aware, it's um, the main... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The United States of America is dedicated to Our Lady under the title of the Immaculate Conception. Um, so, uh, by the way, is Portugal, Spain, Inner Mongolia, Guam, Argentina. Um, so they're all dedicated to Our Lady under that particular title as well. So that's Our Lady and the feast day of the Immaculate Conception on the 8th of December. So then on the 9th, uh, which is the first, in the first week of Advent, we have the feast day of St. Juan Diego. I can never pronounce the man's surname. I'm not even going to try. Basically, <laughs> this is the seer of Guadalupe. 
Um, so the 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 this is he saw Our Lady in Guadalupe in December in 1531. He died in 1548, and of course it's the lovely story of um, the the what you call it the the apparition of this lady, small, dark skinned, dark haired lady to this gentleman and uh, giving him giving him the image of the, the of gathering the the roses. He gathered them in his tilma to take it, to prove it to the bishop that he'd seen what he had seen because he had asked for a church to be built here. And so when he opened his tilma to deposit the roses in the room that the bishop was in, uh, the bishop and the priests there all went down on their knees to pray because, of course, when he opened his tilma, which was the cloak he was wearing, you had that lovely image of Our Lady of Guadalupe imprinted on the inside of the tilma. And to this day, the original tilma is still in the basilica at Guadalupe. And it has never deteriorated, despite the fact that it is made of natural plant uh, material. And um, uh, San Juan Diego, and it said that if it's been examined under the microscope and you can see the reflection mm. of Juan Diego in the eyes of the Madonna on the, the tilma. Yeah. The image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, of course, uh, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe is actually the 12th of December. Uh, obviously a great feast, very much associated with Mexico and South America. Very obviously uh, popular with people from that part of the world and a huge devotion in many parts of the world, of course, with the Holy Father as well as he is Argentinian. So, John, that's what we have. Uh, Just to point out, next Sunday, the second Sunday of Advent is the 10th of December and normally that would be the feast day of Our Lady of Loreto, but that is not celebrated this year. Shane, thank you very much, Nick, for that. Very comprehensive. That was a busy week. Yeah, we've been well. Next week, Advent is a weird one. Like we're we're into the season of Advent. We're going to talk about that in part two. Mm. Advent is a weird one in terms of that um, the season of Advent should take precedence, but there's a lot of saints and a lot of things on on the calendar at the same time as we head into Christmas. So we'll come back to that um, Advent and in in the part two of the program. Maybe just a few notices. Yes, yeah, yeah, a few notices. Now I have one for Glenn Stall. If we can just pull it up, yeah. So just to say to people, um, we have Advent at the Abbey twenty. 2023. So the monks of Glenstall are inviting people to attend a season of opportunities. Three um, three Sundays in Advent. So that's the tenth. The sorry, the third, the tenth, and the seventeenth. Uh, there won't be any talk on the 24th. Obviously, that's Christmas Eve. Um, and just the, the, the fourth Sunday of Advent is Christmas Eve, just, just in case people weren't aware of that. So the talks take place at 4.30pm in the Monastery Library, followed by refreshments and then Vespers at 6pm. Donations, 20 euros. Uh, talks will be available afterwards as recordings. So that's a slight change. Before they might be semicast, they'll go out at the same time. Now they'll be recorded recorded and sorted out afterwards. For further information, please contact Linstall at events at uh, The talks are Stay Awake, Stay Alive by Columba McCann, Prepare the Way for the Lord by John O'Callaghan, and then Advent, The Call Room for Christmas by Simon Sleeman, all from the community in Glenstall. Shane, thanks for that. I might just add one to that at this stage. It's uh, just an early announcement of uh, Carols by Candlelight on Sunday the 17th of December in Knoxville. They're delighted again to announce that Carols by Candlelight will take place in the Basilica uh, at 8pm. So you can join them either either first come first served uh, in person in the Basilica or they will be uh, they will be uh, online as well. So that's the 17th of December at 8pm, Carols by Candlelight. So at this point now we might go for a prayer space before we go for our first bit of music this morning. 
Uh, I picked a little bit of a, a, well, actually, I picked a nice Advent prayer that came my way there recently. Just share this with our listeners. Great Creator, awaken our hearts from all the ways we sleepwalk through our lives. Whatever we have grown weary, cynical, dispirited, may we see anew the rich promises of the season, open our consciousness to the possibility of the new heaven and the new earth. That is your vision for mankind. May we each be stewards of the new creation and be light bearers of good news. May this Advent be a homecoming journey, a letting go of all that is false and illusory. May our hearts be at the new Bethlehem, and may it may it be done unto all according to your word. Amen. Now, at this point of uh, podcast, we'll introduce our first bit of music, maybe, Sean. So, the first bit of music this morning. So, yeah. So, we've picked kind of um, <clears throat> Advent music. I'll pick this up again in part two of the program. We're we're staying away from Christmas. This four weeks, Christmas. Absolutely. Nights. So we're staying with Advent. So our music over the next four weeks, over the next four Sundays, is going to be very traditional in terms of of um, in terms of 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 of, of Advent pieces. Now uh, this week and next week will just be normal Advent music, and then the third week we will focus in on the O antiphons, like we did last year or the year before. So the f- piece of music to for this part of the podcast this week is called "Hark a Herald Voice Is Calling," and it's the King's College choir in Cambridge uh, singing it. It's a nice piece of music. Thanks Shane. Let's come back and join us again in part two.
So welcome back to part two of this week's podcast here on Come and See Inspirations on what is the first Sunday of Advent. My name is Shane Ambrose. Delighted to have you with us here on the podcast this week. And my buddy, my maestro, the editor, the boss, is keeping things going over in the corner, John. That won't get you any more sweets or any more roses. <laughs> I'm not having any of them as it is. But anyway, so on part two of this week's podcast, we're going to split it into two parts. And it's going to be looking at the season of Advent. So for part one, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to take people through different resources um, to help you with your Advent. And then in part two of the of part two, if that's not a contradiction in terms, mm-hmm. we're going to have a small, short reflection on Advent and the season of Advent. So just to take people through. Now, I am very conscious of the fact that we have listeners who are online and we have listeners who aren't online. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some uh, some books that are available and that we would recommend for uh, for Advent this year. And just for anyone that's in Ireland and is listening, uh, all of these are very available at Veritas. Um, uh, generally, is where you'd be picking up something like this. Um, Eason's or, or, or some of the other big shops wouldn't necessarily carry these type of resources. But anyway, so first and foremost, uh, what we are, well, even before I start with that, I suppose one resource that we highly recommend, uh, I don't know if you can get it actually in Veritas. I've had this book now for a number of years and I drag it out every Easter or every Christmas as well. And it is Watch for the Light, Readings for Advent and Christmas. And it is published by Orbis Press, which is, um, people might remember, we had, um, what do you call them? The the, the plough, the people from oh, the yes, plough on, the yes, brethren from yes, the plough. Yes. So this is one of their publications, although it's gone, it's, it's through Orbis Press. It's a fabulous day-by-day uh, set of readings, and it takes you through all of Advent and all of Christmas right on to... Uh, pretty much the baptism of the Lord. So the 7th of January, or well, it's the day after the Epiphany. Um, it's fabulous. There's there's lovely reflections for each day. I always find it very, very helpful. Uh, so you have writings from different people, including Sylvia Plath, uh, Henry Newen, Bernard of Clairvaux, Kathleen Norris, Oscar Romero, Carl Barth, uh, Philip Britz, Loretto Rose Gotta, um, Madeleine Lingle, Brennan Manning, Dorothy Day, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, you know, just a whole load of nice, digestible, easy to read pieces, maximum two, three, four pages, you know, to something to just help you through the Advent journey. I would highly recommend that. I've used that myself for many years. Another one which we would recommend, of course, is from our friend to the podcast, Martina Lahan Sheehan. Mm-hmm. Martina has a lovely piece. It's a nice short book. It's only, let me just look, it's only 90 pages, not even 100 pages. Uh, Waiting in Mindful Hope, Wisdom for Times of Transition. Now, it's written from the point of view of helping people to transition, uh, you know, in in a watchfulness, acceptance and awareness of God in the present moment. So it's 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 it can actually be used probably at any time of the year. But I, I find myself uh, particularly the, if there's three parts, part one is waiting, part two is mindfulness and part three is hope. And I generally find the section part one waiting is very helpful in terms of Advent. And we'll come back to that in the next part of the podcast. Now, then just to say as well, if you're looking for other things that are other books that might be of interest, Waiting in Joyful Hope, Daily Reflections for Advent and Christmas by Susan Sweet- Sweet- Sweetnam. It's a nice uh, large print booklet generally. 
prepare prepare for the coming of Christ with this popular and inviting annual guide and gives you kind of readings for the day and and some reflection thoughts uh, by by Su- Susan Sweetnam. And that's available. It's only three fifty. Um, mm. OK, then the next one is Candles in the Night, the Advent Experience by Anna Burke. Uh, so this is an interesting one. It's, um, you know, it's 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 a reflection of the books which are exploring themes such as waiting, giving, announcing and transforming. Offered as a resource to be used during Advent, be it for personal use, prayer groups or otherwise. Uh, so it's an interesting one. And it kind of the whole idea of all of these resources is to help us to slow down and take our time going through Advent. Now, a uh, new book that's out this year is Journeying to the Light by John Mann. And with, uh, this has a foreword by Bishop, Bishop Brendan Leahy in it. It's again, it's a daily read through the period from Advent, uh, from the first Sunday of Advent to Epiphany and is largely based on the Eucharistic readings from each day. Now, John Mann is, uh, as far as I'm aware, he's Anglican, he's Church of Ireland, but that doesn't that doesn't make any difference. The reflections are lovely. Uh, yes, he's an Anglican, sorry, that's right, he's an Anglican priest, um, but this book is based on the revised common lectionary, so it's ecumenical in terms of the readings that are used, so it can be used by anyone. Beautiful, nice, light, and it's coming in at 12.95. Now, moving to things online, so just to just to there's 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 so many resources online it's it's actually slightly ridiculous, um, but we'll try and pick out one or two. So the first one that I always pick out and I flag this in particular for young parents in particular, um, if you're looking for things and you're looking for resources particularly for the children, um, is Liola LiolaPress.com and look for their you go in looking under faith formation programs and look under the liturgical year for Advent. Um, now, there's a couple of resources there, and not just for the kids, but for everybody. So the first one is re- Reimagining Advent with the Examen, which is the the, the, the reflection from the spiritual exercises mm-hmm. of St. Ignatius of Loyola. But then there's lovely ones in terms of activities that things can be done with the children. There's a lovely Advent Christian focused one on Advent calendars. If you're looking for ideas about putting up, you know, a, an Advent calendar together for the children that actually has something to do with Advent, as opposed to the ridiculous commercial Advent calendars that are out there at the mm-hmm. moment. And then there's lovely resources in terms of the Jesse Three Prayers for Advent and Arts and Faith in Advent as well. I like that one from Loyola Press. They do one. They kind of take art, modern and historic art, <laughs> and look at it in terms of the season. In terms of books. Obviously, uh, one of the things there is the Sacred Space book, which is, of course, from sacredspace.ie, which is the Irish Jesuits. And they obviously give that a promotion as well. But Loyola Press also look at small books, which are very good for children. And I would highly recommend it, like Mary, Mother of Jesus, Shush, God is in the Silence, um, Loyola Kids books of Catholic Signs and Symbols, um, Loyola Kids books of Bible Stories. As I said, for the adults, there's the Sacred Space for Advent and the Christmas Season 2023-2024. You know, so you can see all those there on um, liolapress.com. Another one then, just to flag to people, there's, uh, and again, it's from Liola Press. They have a webinar, Advent Traditions Explained, a webinar with Amy Wellborn. Now, Amy Wellborn is a blogger. She's, I came across her years ago in terms of writing on numerous blogs that I used to follow. She now has a Substack as well. So she's, um, so she has, um, you can register. She's, she's registered to get the webinar and attend the webinar. She's an author of numerous things, including, um, you know, over 20 books. 
um, and she's the one that's responsible for Loyola Kids Books of Saints as well. So that's also available on LoyolaPress.com. Now, bringing the things back over to this side of the pond, just a couple of things to point out. Uh, one which was pointed out to us by our good friend Noreen Lynch actually is Iona Community. Now, the Iona Community is... Um, as it says, the community on the island of Iona. It's an ecumenical community and they have lots of resources online as well in terms of Advent and other things that are that are that are coming up as as well. So definitely if you want to check them out, they would have uh I'm just trying to just give me one second, John. Uh they have uh writing Advent collects with um what's his name? Padre Gotuma. Father Gautuma is a poet. He's originally from Cork, but now lives in Belfast and, and is involved very much with On Being for anyone that's linking into that, which is a lovely, he does poetry every day and he produced the book, uh, he edited the book On Being Poetry, uh, which was published last year. And we might try to get him on the programme, on the podcast at some stage. But anyway, in going back to Iona, um, so there is, he's he has a workshop with people writing collects for Advent, which is on Sunday the 3rd, which is today. Then Advent readings, Advent readings with Iona Books, which is on the fifteenth of December twenty twenty and, and fifteenth of December, and in Watchlight Service at Iona Abbey, which is the Christmas their Christmas service. But I, as far as I'm aware, it can be seen online if you were looking for something to see. So that's the Iona Iona community. So that's Iona.org.uk for anyone that wants to find it online. Then there's the obviously the environment is very much a thing, and there's resources available for, in relation to Laudato Sea and and all things connected. Uh, the Catholic Climate Covenant has Advent resources for 2023, including a number of simplicity challenges, a pilgrimage of reconciliation with the world that is our home. Uh, they connect in with CRS, which is Catholic Relief Service in, in the United States. So for listeners from Ireland, it's, they're kind of like throw crab, but not quite. Um, they're, they have this whole load of resources that are available there. So if you want to look up catholicclimatecovenant.org. So that's catholicclimatecovenant.org forward slash resources forward slash advent. For anyone that's listening in on the podcast, we will put the links into the notes. So don't don't worry too much about that. But there there's some great there. So that's Catholic Climate Covenant Advent resources. Then, in addition to that, then the Ignatian Solidarity Network has Advent Simplicity Challenge. Uh, in a season that can mistakenly be focused on gifts and consumption, explore ways to live simply as we hopefully prepare for the coming of Jesus. So that's uh, IgnatianSolidarity.net. Now, another one that we often promote here on the podcast is obviously Word on Fire. Word on Fire Institute obviously was set up by Bishop Robert Barron and is a great resource. Now, one thing about it, um, they're great for kind of, you know, their whole method and their whole focus is proclaiming Christ in the culture. Uh, But often, sometimes people can find it a bit challenging. Uh, It can be, it can be quite, it can be a bit heavy. So just to bear that in mind, yeah. but it is a great resource to dip in and out, uh, particularly uh, there's nice short three, four minute videos mm. of Robert mm. Barron, Bishop Barron, kind of discussing different things. So you can look in and Google for, for Advent will be and also just to see what short articles uh, have would have been written by him or other people on the Word on Fire Institute uh, or Word on Fire in relation to Advent. So that's always another one that we would give a plug to. 
So those are a couple of resources, John, and ideas just for people. As I said, we'll put the links to most of those in um, into the notes on this week's podcast. So now we're going to have our second piece of music and we're going to use this as a kind of a deep breath because that was a quick run through many things. And the, we're going to have Creator of the Stars of Night. Now, Creator of the Star of Night is a very traditional and in the Latin, old uh, traditional Advent hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. And so we're going to listen to this now and then that will lead us gently into our reflection in part two of part two on this week's programme. So that was um, Creator of the Stars of Night, and it's kind of a nice, gentle way to lead us into a small bit of reflection on the Advent season. 
Advent, of course, is Adventus. It comes from the waiting season, four weeks of preparation ahead of Christmas and the celebration of the Incarnation. Now, I suppose one of the problems is, as a religious season, it kind of gets lost in the middle of all the craziness that surrounds Christmas. And I suppose there, it's been categorized unfairly as the Lent of Christmas, which I suppose isn't an undue uh, title for it. Uh, but generally, it's not as severe as, as, as Lent would be. Although, if you were in the Orthodox Church, folks, you would actually be doing a full fast for six to eight weeks beforehand. So Advent is only four weeks in Latin tradition. Um, but it's, it's one of those ones that sometimes gets overlooked. Uh, although, it has to be said, you know, uh, in, in, from the point of view of writers, there's a great poem, uh, Advent by Pat- Patrick Kavanagh, and which I'm going to read you a piece of. It's, we have, tasted and te- t- we have tested and tasted too much, lover. Through a chink too wide, there comes in no wonder. But here in the Advent darkened room, where the dry brack bed and the sugarless tea of penance will charm back the luxury of a child's soul, we'll return to doom the knowledge we stole but could not use. And I suppose it's a reminder to us that we are a pilgrim people forever on a journey of transitioning, always waiting in, tan- in anticipation of the not yet. We are in these Adventus spaces during every period of transition. And I suppose the whole thing about it is that sometimes is that we fail to understand that this time of waiting um, is just as important as the event itself that we are going to celebrate. Um, and I suppose one of the things we mentioned in, in terms of resources is the book by Martina Lahan Sheehan, Waiting in Mindful Hope. So I'm just going to take one or two different quotes out of that in the next while and just for you to think about and pause and reflect on as we, we, we get ready to celebrate this Advent. Of course, Advent very much in the church, in, in terms of the, the celebrations in the church, of course, is very much focused on the Advent wreath. You know, evergreen circle symbolizing eternity with the four candles, sometimes five, four candles, three purple, one rose, uh, one candle for each Sunday of, of Advent. A Germanic tradition uh, brought to the UK by Prince Albert, uh, husband of Queen Victoria. And and while it's very much in Ireland, it's very much associated with church and churches uh, in other countries, it's actually a domestic tradition. It's a tradition, a home of the home church. Uh, although the candles may not be the three purple and, and rosé, they could just be three three candles, whatever they are. But just it's very much that symbolism of linking in with the season and kind of that reminder to us that each season has its own traditions associated with it. And, you know, we might have to kind of withdraw a small bit to allow Advent to be Advent, you know, um, we've often said about God being God, but to allow Advent to be Advent and not so much dive into the hurly-burly of the Christmas season. You know, a simple thing like this is, well, when do you put up your Christmas tree? You know, and some people put it up the minute Halloween is over. Some people put it up mid-November. I'm going to be kind of Scrooge about it a little bit, John. Like our Christmas tree goes up maybe the 21st of December. You know, the whole idea of it's supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be a wonder. It's supposed to kind of be a pinnacle of 
of celebration. But if you start and you throw everything, the decorations up on the 1st of December, well, kind of the wonder and the mystery and the excitement of it is well gone by the time you get to the 25th of December. You know, so that's something for us to think about. But the season itself is a call for us to be aware and awake, something which we're going to pick up in part three of this week's podcast when we're reflecting on the gospel. You know, we we have a risk that we tune out and become disconnected from the present moment. We're always living in the future, worrying about what's to come, or we're regurgitating the past, thinking, well, we should have done this, and we should have done that, and we should have done the other thing. You know, but instead, Advent reminds us that there is something special about waiting, and we're not very good at it, you know. We're, we're, we're too caught up in it, and it questions whether or not we are open to be receptive to the gift that is to come, the joyful gift of expectation of not yet. And it's, but it's not a passive waiting, right? We're attentive, intentional, and aware of the present moment. And it's that call to live in the present moment that is the challenge of Advent for us, that we bring ourselves back, that we take a deep breath, and we kind of ask ourselves the question, well, what's it all for? What's all the rushing around for? Is it actually necessary? You know, and while I suppose if I was a shopkeeper, my response would probably be yes, because this is when I make the money to get me through the lean parts of the year. But I suppose the question is, we feed into a consumer's mentality that we have to ask ourselves, what's it got to do with what we're supposed to be celebrating? And Advent gives us that space and an opportunity to practice being fully present, is the way Martina describes it in that book, Waiting in Joyful, in Mindful Hope. You know, it's a situation where we're being asked to embrace the waiting seasons of our souls. And the problem is that sometimes we've lost touch with that. Um, I suppose the, the obvious example, the waiting season of the soul, the most obvious example is a pregnancy, you know. The Christ child grew in the womb of a young girl with no quick fix or grand entry, but a slow and fragile waiting process, you know. And it's a reminder to us, and Advent provides us that space to say to us that the deepest soul movements that we have, they cannot be rushed, but need to be entered into gently and patiently inhabited. Um, You know, we have to be able to allow ourselves to be encountered right here, right now. Not in the insta-culture, the, you know, or the, the fear of missing out, the FOMO culture, but just being able to have a holy waste of time, actually is how Martina describes it, you know, which is a great way of putting it, you know, that we can waste time with God, if you like, and making space, you know. Now, it doesn't mean we reject or we bah humbug the reality of our lives, you know, but maybe it asks us to be a little bit more receptive and careful to what is happening around us. That we are listening, you know, in order to hear what has to be said to us in this Advent season. That we are listening anew um, and maybe developing a sense of gratitude. Now, with all due respect to our American listeners and our American cousins across the pond with the focus on Thanksgiving... It's a slightly bit different, I suppose, in this part of the world that, you know, that the idea of being or developing our awareness of gratitude and thankfulness, you know, it's a skill we have to develop, not something we do on one day of the year and something that sometimes people can see is a bit mawkish, you know, but it's also exercising that muscle, 
you know, we have to be able to live up and exercise the muscle uh, to be able to give thanks. But it brings back to us that Advent is a season of waiting. Now, Henry Newman, you know, made the point that waiting is not a very popular attitude. Um, you know, people don't think about it with great sympathy. Um, but waiting is even more difficult because sometimes we're fearful. And I think fear and worry is kind of a pervasive emotion at the moment. People are afraid. Afraid of inner feelings, afraid of other people, and afraid of the future. And because we get so caught up with fear, we have a hard time waiting, you know. And it's just for us to be careful that, you know, we can wait with hope. Because that's what Advent is supposed to be about, a season of hope. You know, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. Mary is waiting. Simeon and Anna are waiting. Um, you know, and waiting in rightful expectation of what is to come, you know. Um, waiting for something new to happen. And they are representatives, of course, of the waiting Israel. You know, which echoes the Psalms. My soul is waiting for the Lord. I count on his word. My soul is longing for the Lord more than watchmen for daybreak. We let the watchman count on daybreak and Israel on the Lord, because with the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. The soul, my soul is waiting for the Lord. It's that song that reverberates down through the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And I suppose there's that reminder to us that are we waiting for God? Are we aware and waiting? You know, because the waiting person is a patient person, you know. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and leave the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden will manifest itself to us. It's not worshipping about, well, what are the neighbours doing? Or what are they all doing over there? Checking Instagram to see what the latest person is doing. You know, and it's sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we need to live in our present moment. Not something that's necessarily easy to do, you know. Because waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. And it's reminding to us is here that, you know, that is something difficult for us to do. We're not a people who like to wait. But this Advent, as we enter into it, why don't you take a moment and kind of decide amongst yourselves, right, if it's only five minutes in the morning that you'll take uh, and do something different for the Advent, you know, uh, maybe you take one of those daily reflections that we spoke about or read through one of them just to start your day. Maybe it might mean getting up that bit earlier that, you know, or taking that extra 10 minutes before going to bed at night. Just to take that pause, to take that time out, light a candle, sit in a quiet space. Not the easiest thing to do, particularly if you're a working parent, you know, and there's small people around. But sometimes we have to take the responsibility to nourish our souls because you can't rely on it maybe if you go to mass once a week that's not enough you know you wouldn't eat one dinner in a week and expect to survive on that no. you know the idea for faith and our faith journeys we have to nourish the soul and one of the challenges that we have is that we have to take responsibility for it ourselves and particularly in a kind of a catholic milieu in ireland that responsibility was kind of farmed out to the community but that's no longer the case and we have to realize that ourselves that we have to take on our own responsibility so i wish you and yours a joyous and hopeful hope filled gratitude filled advent season thank you very much Dave, for that just a thought that comes to my mind
I heard a comment made the other day. Let's not at the end of, of Advent regret the fact that we missed Advent, <coughs> that we just let it just go by as normal and we weren't open to something, some sense of wonder for the whole season. And, and as you said, that means waiting, that means staying silent. We're not very good at that. We want to get up this done and that done and the other done. We're letting somebody else distract us, take away that wonder that could be for the season. So I, for one, am going to try and not, at the end of Advent, regret that I missed Advent. With that, Shane, have you got a piece of music for us to finish up? Yes. So the third piece of music, just to finish out this one. Again, it's a nice, gentle piece. It's by John Michael Talbot, and it's What Child Is This? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. What child is this who Yeah.
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. And at this point, of our, by the way, thank you, Shane, for, for sharing those that information with us in regard to resources and that reflection for the first Sunday in Advent. Um, but now it's a part of the podcast where we read and reflect on the Word of God. Before that, we'll ask Shane to pray this prayer before we read and reflect. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively and humbly, 
may we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. And let our eyes be closed and our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, uh, for the first Sunday in Advent, is taken from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 33 to 37. Jesus said to his disciples, Be on your guard, stay awake, because you never know when the time will come. It's like a man travelling abroad, he's gone from home, left his servants in charge, each with his own task. And he's told the doorkeeper to stay awake. So stay awake, because you do not know when the master of the house is coming. Evening, midnight, cockcrow, dawn. If he comes unexpectedly, he must not find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. The Gospel for this week for the first Sunday in Advent. Shane, have you got a thought you might want to share with us, please? Yeah, so we are entering into the new liturgical year, as we said at the top of the pro, at the top of the podcast, and which means, of course, we are switching Gospels this year. So predominantly for the next, whatever, 11, 12 months, we are going to be journeying through the liturgical year with the Gospel of St. Mark. Uh, not completely just Mark, because Mark's Gospel is actually quite short. It's only 16 chapters. Uh, it's the very first gospel. It's regarded as the old, of the oldest of the four synoptics. So it'll be supplemented throughout the year with readings from John. But in general, we will be accompanying Mark throughout the liturgical year. Now, Mark's gospel, as I said, 16 chapters. It reads a bit like a fast-paced action movie. Mission, Ooh, okay. Impo- Mission Impossible wouldn't have a patch on it. Um, you hit the ground running in Mark, and it goes all the way through. And like immediately now... Kind of these are the terminology, the translations that are used for the Gospel of Mark. Um, now, over the last couple of weeks, the Gospel has been kind of what we were listening to with with Matthew was a little tough. We were listening to the the, the Gospels, uh, kind of around the Kingdom of God is and the Final Judgment mm. and, and things like that, and it continues ever so slightly into this week's one, um, with the reminder to us, of course, that Advent is about the comings of Christ. So the first coming of Christ was what happened at Christmas 2,000 odd years ago. Mm-hmm. The second coming is the coming that is to come, the parousa, the, 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 you know, the exaltation of Christ returning in glory. And then the third coming of Christ is the Christ, the coming that happens in our hearts at Christmas. So this Sunday's gospel is linking into that kind of that third one and picking up on again on the parable or the story of the the person, the master gone from home and coming back and the call for us to be awake, to be alert, to be to be understanding that at any moment the Lord could come knocking on the door. And it's that whole, if you count it, it's like four or five times, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. You must not find you asleep. Stay awake. So that sense of urgency in Mark's gospel and that sense of reminder to us as Christians, that we need to be urgent about being going about the Lord's business and asking ourselves the question, well, what can I do? What, what, what is it that we're being asked to do here to stay awake, to be alert? What is it that it's calling us to do? You know, and, and that's the question. That's the reflection for us this week in kind of like, 
asking us, you know, what will we do? What is it that we're asked to do? What is it that we're called upon to do uh, to stay awake? You know, because you never know when the time will come. That whole concept of time, Kairos time and Kronos time. Kairos time is divine time. Kronos time is chronometer. You know, it's the clock on the wall. And that was asking ourselves, where are the Kairos moments, the Lord's moments, the divine moments in time that we are awake and alert? You know, Jesus spoke in the the parable about um, the master of the house is coming, evening, midnight, cockcrow, dawn. So to his listeners, those would have been the watches of the night, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, probably not. We're not so tuned into it as more as such. But, um, you know, if he comes unexpectedly, he must not find you asleep, you know, and that idea that, you know, we are supposed to be uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Consciously aware of our faith and living mm-hmm. it out, you know, yeah, yeah. and the danger that we have is that it's something we do with habit that we get used to, that we don't think about it enough. Um, Case in point is the challenge that's there for many places at the moment about people returning to the celebration of the sacraments after COVID and the closures that have happened. Now, in an Irish context, I don't know what it's like to some of our listeners around the world, but in terms of an Irish context, the church in Ireland is struggling in terms of people who didn't go back after COVID um, because basically they got out of the habit. You know, they were doing what they were doing because it was a habit. And that's the challenge that's there for us, that faith has to be lived consciously. You have to make the conscious decision to do something. So when we were at Lexio on on, on Monday this week, um, Father Frank, who leads our Lexio group, he asked the question, is there anything that you have stopped doing but never made a conscious decision to stop doing it? And he gave the example, he gave two great examples. One was, do you still take holy water and bless yourself as you enter and exit the house. Yeah. The, the, you know, blessing yourself like that introduces you to two things, the concept of the Trinity and the concept of the cross. Mm-hmm. Or do we encourage young people, children to do that? Say, for example, if we're passing a church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But ask yourself the question, do I still do it? And if not, why not? Did I make a conscious decision not to do it? Because sometimes we can just inadvertently fall out of a habit or fall out of 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 into a new habit which is a bad habit if you like of not consciously being aware of moments of divine grace and encounter in our lives and i suppose it's a particular challenge in an irish context because we come from a tradition of the baelidus which is the the folk tradition of faith and things became a bit too intellectual and a bit too, um, what's the word I'd use, sanitized into a certain extent. And, you know, something, you, you can't appeal just to people's intellects. You have to appeal to their senses, to their emotions, because that's where God is dwelling in each and every one of us. You know, so it's that whole sense of, you know, do we engage our very senses to celebrate our, our faith? You know, if you think about it, like if you think about the Eucharist and celebration of a proper liturgy, if it's done with with singing, with 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 incense, with wine and hosts, you know, to, the the sense of the taste in the mouth being engaged as well, you know, and you're standing, you're sitting, you're moving, you're using your body to worship God. So I suppose this Advent, you know, the Gospel is asking us: How are we staying awake in terms of the practice of our faith? 
And the gospel this week is asking us that, posing the question to us and giving us pause for thought as we enter into this Advent season. Thanks for sharing that with us, Shane. Very similar now to just, a, what, just one little thought that I had this week when I just read the gospel. In today's gospel, Jesus tells us of a man traveling abroad, leaves his servants in charge, each with his own task. And that little phrase got me, each with his own task. You alluded something like that in your own reflection. So I'm also asked the question, what is my task? What does the Lord need me to do to fulfill the task he's given me? Maybe this week we could all spend some time listening and waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead us to our task this Advent. So that will go for a final piece of music, Shane. Yeah, so the final piece of music is from the al- album The Trill of Hope by Christy Knuckles. Now, I came across this one on, on YouTube, and it's called The Dance at Midgill Eater. Now, the, the, dan- the name is a bit strange, but the words are nice in terms of the season of calling down the mercy of God in this Advent season. So it's Christy Knuckles, The Trill of Hope, and the piece is called Dance at Midgill Eater. So again, thanks, thanks a lot indeed for joining us this week. Um, next week, we'll have another guest to come and join us to share their thoughts on the second week in Advent. In the meantime, have a good Advent. Maybe think of some of the, some of the thoughts that Shane shared with us there early on. And just one little reminder for myself, let's not get to the end of Advent and regret that we missed it. In the meantime, have a good week. We'll speak to you again next week. God bless now. Bye.